turn or burn. You ever heard preaching like that before? Probably have. Luke chapter 13 records an event when Jesus was in Jerusalem with his disciples and were also in the company of a large group of Jews described as innumerable, too many to count. The news of the day had sparked a discussion about some Galileans, Jews from up in Galilee, who had been killed by Pilate's soldiers and uh, their blood had been mixed with the sacrifices. They were in the process of offering sacrifices. And it was also discussing an event, a construction accident in Siloam, which is in basically one of the suburbs of Jerusalem. A common belief, even today, the same as it was then, is that when some tragedy like a deadly storm or a terrorist attack or maybe a, a shooting that takes the lives of several people, that God is somehow judging them for some terrible sin that they must have committed. In those days, the idea prevailed that any bad thing that occurred must be the result of some sin that someone had committed, even to the point of an infant still in the womb. That's kind of silly, isn't it? John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 show us this commonly held superstition of that day. It says here that as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. He was born blind. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, as ridiculous as this may seem, we're often no different. When you get sick, or Greg wrecks his truck, or some other thing happens that we don't like, what do we say? We say, what did I do to deserve this? You know, anything bad that's happened, it must, you know, we just immediately go to something we must have done that we're being punished for. Folks have this idea of God as the ultimate punisher. That's like what he does for fun or something. Well, when we read this, we're going to learn a few things about that today. But here in Luke chapter 13, we're going to read these first five verses of this historic account. It says there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Repentance. What a powerful term. According to what we just read, this is an essential condition that we all must meet. 
This also happens to be one of the most carelessly used commands of the scriptures. A proper understanding of repentance can result in wonderful life-giving change, while the misunderstanding of it can result in hopelessness and despair. Nearly everyone here who's ever been to a revival meeting, anybody here ever been to a revival meeting? Yeah, pretty common thing. Or where an emotional style of preaching has been employed, has heard this term preached, and many of you have heard it mispreached. One of the things that we have learned well about scriptures around here is that words matter. Every word of God matters. Repentance, or the word repent in one form or another, is used in the New Testament about 60 times. About 60 times. Have you heard this biblical term preached and taught before? Have you heard preachers preaching that you must repent? Yes? Have you heard that it means to turn around? Have you heard that applied to it? Maybe you've heard that uh, it means to turn from your sins. Anybody heard that before? Okay. Have you heard it preached as a requirement for salvation? Many. Nobody's brave enough to raise their hand except for Zach and Christopher back there. But I'm getting a lot of nods. I'm getting a lot of nods. Well, have you heard it preached that you must turn from your sins in order to be saved? Oh, yeah, lots of hands now. Everybody got brave all of a sudden. That's good. I love it when you're brave. Let me ask you this. If you must turn from your sins in order for Jesus to save you, is that not works? Sounds like works to me. What's it sound like to you? Works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, pretty clear about works. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I have personally had many discussions about this with other preachers and, about, and other various individuals as well. And some have told me, no, it means you must be sorry for your sins. Anybody ever heard that? Okay. This is not new. It's gotten around a lot. Well, I've got a question then. How sorry must you be? Well, I mean, it's a good question. It's a fair question. If it means that you must be sorry for your sins, well, how sorry do you need to be? What if you're a little sorry, but not sorry enough? The book of Hebrews, speaking of Moses, tells us this. This is Hebrews 11, verse 24. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, albeit for a season, it says, some sins do produce pleasure. Some of you are thinking, I can't believe he just said that. 
Well, you all know it, whether I said it or not, don't you? Well, I think you can obviously see here that some sins may be harder to be sorry for than other sins. No? Yes? Well, I, I think that's kind of obvious. So if I tell you, if I tell you that you must be truly sorry for all your sins and that you must turn from all your sins in order to be saved, what does that do for your hope of going to heaven? It doesn't give you much encouragement, does it? Well, I think it's obvious that there is a lot left to be understood about this biblical command of repentance. So first of all, this morning, we're going to ask you, what does this term really mean? There are three Greek words translated to either the word repent or repentance in the New Testament. The first one is used some 34 times in the New Testament. It's metanoeo. Metanoeo means to think differently or afterwards, to reconsider. That's what the word means. This is the Greek word used in our example there in Luke chapter number 13. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. It's from two Greek words, meta and noeo, meaning accompanied by or an exercise of the change of your mind. Change your mind. The second word is used some 24 times in the New Testament. This one is metanoia. Uh, It means compunction, guilt, uh, by implication reversal of another decision. And it's usually translated repentance, like it's a noun form. The second form of the same root word is clearly, again, another aspect of changing one's mind. It all comes back to this one thing about changing your mind. The third Greek word translated, either repent or repentance, is used only six times in the New Testament. This one is metelelomai, and don't bet any money that I got that pronounced perfectly correctly, so... This one, it means to care afterwards or to regret. Anybody here have any regrets in your life? Yeah, I think we all do. Now, an example of this particular usage is found in Matthew 21 and verse 28. It says, but what think you? This is Jesus, by the way. But what think you? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. None of these particular applications, none of them, have anything to do or are connected with salvation. They're not. What we can see is that all forms of this word have to do with the changing of one's mind or the changing of your thinking. The applications of these terms themselves is very broad and very general. Repentance can apply to anything you can change your mind about. You ever change your mind about anything? Can you fellows attest to the fact that the ladies you know have have definitely changed their mind about things? (laughs) 
That, okay, all right. I mean, we're talking weather, politics, clothing, hairstyle, financial decisions, heaven and hell as well. Some of you may have repented several times this morning already. It's not, us- it's not unusual for my wife to repent several times on a Sunday morning. She does. She repents. I've seen her do it. She'll get dressed. And then she'll stand in front of our full-length mirror. And then change her mind and wear something else. What did she do? She repented. That's what she did. Sometimes she even repents for me. <laughs> I'll get dressed and she looks at me and shakes her head. And so then I go back to the closet and get something else to wear. <laughs> there is that rare occasion where she just rolls her eyes and let me go like that anyway. So, you know. <laughs> Repentance can apply to anything you can change your mind about. That's all the word's talking about. People say, no, it means to turn for your sin. Does it? Where did he get that? What makes repentance specific is the subject matter used in connection with it. Here's another example straight from the Bible. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. This verse refers to when these Hebrew believers changed their minds about their dead works and instead of depending on their dead works, they're trying to keep the law, they placed their faith in Jesus and became born again. They had been taught that their hope lay in how well they could keep the law of Moses. Starting out with the Ten Commandments, of course. That's the basis of the law of Moses. And they, just like us, could not be saved unless they changed their mind about that. They had to change their mind about somehow being saved by doing a good job of keeping the law. If you are still depending on your good works to get you to heaven, you really ought to change your mind about that. Because it's not going to work. So when the Bible commands you to repent, what does that mean? Well, by definition, that means that you would change your mind or your thinking about your sins if you're talking about when the Bible tells you to repent of your sins. There is one thing wrong with this assessment. Nowhere in any of the 60 times this term is used in the New Testament does the Bible tell us to repent of our sins. It's not in there. I've done my homework. I've read and studied all 60 passages and the surrounding context as well. And I can't find it. Surely with all that shouting and hollering about, you got to repent of your sins. Surely with all that, it's got to be in there somewhere, right? Well, I guess it must be in some other version because there's not one single verse anywhere in the King James Version Bible that says that you or anyone must repent of their sins. 
I've searched all 60 usages and all forms of the word and is not there anywhere. How is that possible? This is not a lightweight, rare thing that is preached. This is preached in congregations across this nation going on right now, all over the place. What then, pray tell, does God tell us over and over and over again to change our mind about or to repent of? If he doesn't say repent of your sins, what does he tell us to repent of? There are 60 places, by the way. Well, the answer to that, what must we repent of, is many things depending mostly upon who you are. For an unsaved person, We have learned well that to be saved from the penalty of your sin, you must put your complete trust in Jesus and Him alone to save you from your sins. Now, we've learned that. This is crystal clear in the Bible, and it's there over and over and over again. If you're lost, that means that up to now you have not placed your trust in Jesus to save you from your sins. If that be the case, you need to change your mind about that. Amen? You need to quit trusting in whatever you're trusted in and put your trust in Jesus instead. Whether your good works, you think there's anybody out there, maybe even in here today, I I don't know, but you think there's anybody out there that's trusting in their good works to get them to heaven? maybe Peter or maybe somebody else is going to say to them someday, how's that working for you? Your church membership. Your granddad was a preacher. Your good outweighing your bad. Fate. Hoping that somehow God is not real. Do you think there's anybody out there that's just hoping that God's not real so they won't have to face what? they're going to have to face. Whatever it is, you need to abandon your faith, your trust, your hope in whatever it's in and put it in Jesus and His finished work on the cross alone. You need to place your trust in Him. If you have changed your mind and placed your trust in Jesus, now you have an even longer list of things to repent of. That doesn't sound like a very good deal, does it? But that's the one you get. In Luke chapter 13, what was Jesus telling those present that they should repent of? Remember, words matter. Here in verse number three and verse number five, he said, I tell you nay, that means no. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Look at the context. We have two groups of men who died early. They were men of faith or they wouldn't have been offering sacrifices. Does that make sense to you? Why did Jews offer animal sacrifices? Because they were looking forward to the Lamb of God who's going to come and be their sacrifice once and for all. See, people in the Old Testament got saved the same way that we did. They trusted in the Lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb that would die in their place. They were looking forward to it happening. We look back to it has happened. 
and we know his name, and we know where he was born, and we know a whole bunch of things about him that the Bible tells us. But we have two groups of men who died early. To perish likewise means to perish like they did. Isn't that what the word likewise means? Like they did? And the context would be very clear to tell us that this means to die early. They died early. So what's Jesus telling them that they must change their minds about? If you want to know, just keep reading. God's going to tell you. So that was verse number five. Verse number six says, he, Jesus, spake also this parable. Here's what he said. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his garden. He had a fig tree planted in his garden, and he came and sought fruit thereon. He was looking for figs and found none. Then said he to the dresser, unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered, answering said unto him, Lord, who, who's, uh, who owns this fig tree? Well, he called him Lord. I think uh, it's probably talking about the Lord, don't you? And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I dig about it and dung it or fertilize it. And if it bear fruit, well... And if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. Like all of them, we must change our mind about what is worth living for. Like this fig tree, believers who are living their lives for the world and for themselves, and there are believers that are living their lives for the world and for themselves, they're bearing no fruit for the kingdom of God. The Lord comes seeking fruit and he's not finding anything. According to this, it appears they are in danger of getting cut down. Getting cut down is the equivalent of this term perish, describing these 18 men that died when the tower fell on them and these other men who Pilate killed with his soldiers. Believers who are living to bear fruit for the kingdom seem, according to what I'm reading to you today, seems to me they are much more likely to stay around than believers who are living for themselves and for the rest of the world. And Jesus said, I tell you, no, but except you repent, What's it mean? Change your mind. You shall all likewise perish. You say, preacher, do you believe God is going to cut me down if I don't bear fruit for the kingdom? Well, let me ask you. Why should God leave me or you around just breathing his good air and enjoying his wonderful blessings of life if we don't? bear fruit for the kingdom. Why would you do that? Would you not be better off in heaven? Yes or no? 
Well, if it's no, why do you even want to go there? That's a dumb question. Of course we'd be better off in heaven. No question about that. Is there any question about that? No. Then why are we still here? We're here for one reason, and that reason is to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Now, I realize Jesus is amazing in his mercy, and his long-suffering is, is just that. It's long-suffering. But it's not without an end. You're going to bear fruit for the kingdom, or sooner or later. You're going to be cut down. Christians who don't bear fruit for the kingdom don't get to stick around as long as Christians who bear fruit for the kingdom. So the question is, what do you need to change your mind about today? You're the one that's here. You are who God has delivered this message to today. What do you need to change your mind about today? What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Let's start with that first. Have you put your trust in Jesus to do that for you? Do you remember when you did that? Yeah, you do. If you did, you you can remember it because it's there. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that you must turn from your sins in order to be saved. Why? Because you simply cannot do it. Romans 5, 6, for when we were yet without strength, Strength to do what? Turn from our sins? In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. But if you will change your mind and place your trust in what Jesus did for you when he died in your place and they buried him and the third day he rose again from the dead, you will be saved the very moment that you do. And then you won't be without strength anymore. And then being with, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Remember that? You mean I could turn from my sins if Christ strengthens me? I could, well, yeah, you can get, you can, you can. You'll never get it all done, granted. And you certainly won't do it all at once. But yeah, you can turn from your sins. And you can bear fruit for the kingdom. You can because you won't be without strength anymore if you put your trust in Jesus. I remember being preached to that I had to live it, that I had to turn from my sins and going out the back of the building without any hope whatsoever because I knew I'd never be able to do that. And I sure do remember the night that an old Baptist preacher with a ratty old King James Version Bible came to my house and opened his Bible and showed me that the whole reason Jesus died was because I could not turn from my sins. Jesus saved me that night. And I have been turning from my sins ever since. Now I've got them all turned from and I don't have any problem anymore. You believe that? I thought, no, I knew you wouldn't. You know better. No, I'm still at it. I'm still at it. But I make a little progress once in a while because of the strength that Jesus gave me the night he saved me from my sins. 
You can have everything Jesus died for if you'll turn from what you've been trusting in and put your trust only in Him. Only Jesus.